Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off-the-shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a serial startup upper with one exit under his belt and now working on a startup contributing to the open source community. Our guest, Brian Leonard, joins us to tell us about the problem that he and his business are solving in the market. So let's not delay. Let's get Brian into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Brian. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Hey, nice to be here. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? I'm Brian Leonard. I'm from California in the United States. I'm the founder of Grouparoo. Uh, we are a data tool, an open source data tool that helps you sync your data from your database, your data warehouse, into the operational tools that you're using, like for sales, uh, customer support, or marketing. Wow. Before that, I was the co-founder of TaskRabbit, a service very different, for sure. A service that uh, helps you get your uh, TV hung up on, on your wall and various other chores around your house. Wow, fantastic. That's great. And we'll kind of touch on both of those uh, very shortly, uh, sp- particularly Grouparoo. Um, what's your journey been like to your tech leadership position? What Has that been quite a meandering kind of adventure? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think everybody's. Uh, if it was a straight line, it'd be it'd be boring, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, they say that about startups too, right? Everybody, everything looks like it's just like up and to the right and and straight up, but uh, it, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of meandering in there uh, for sure. Uh, my journey uh, started, you know, it was a cold day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I went to school for computer engineering, uh, got a job at uh, IBM, uh, stayed there for a while. While I was there, I met uh, a, friend of our, a friend of mine that decide, had this idea about getting people uh, using social networks. Uh, just at that time, Twitter was starting, Facebook was starting, it was about 2008, 2009. How could we use the power of that to get stuff done in the real world? Uh, the iPhone was also starting up, uh, so I decided to make that uh, make that jump and uh, be the technical co-founder there. That eventually became TaskRabbit. You know, then a lot of meandering uh, for sure uh, over the next uh, almost decade, and we got acquired by a uh, Swedish furniture company, IKEA. Wow. You never know. You never know what's going to happen in the world. Among other things, they helped TaskRabbit uh, launch in many countries, uh, many countries in, in Europe. I spent some time in Spain helping helping that happen with, with them. It was super great. Cool. And then uh, decided, based on the problems I'd seen and the struggles, um, mostly organizational struggles with data and these kinds of things, to, to found Grouparoo, uh, helping to ease those problems. And hopefully, you know, it's just something I wish I would have had in, in, at TaskRabbit. 
Wow, sounds fast. Sounds fantastic, especially IKEA. You know, a well-known brand uh, coming to kind of buy the platform. I mean, that must have been a pretty big achievement for you. I mean, was it was it something that you could see coming coming, or was it a surprise? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's yes and no. Like from the very early days, ten years ago, we had it. All we had was like an empty white text box and said, what, what do you need? And then we'll help you, right? Like we got, we got much more e-commerceified over, over the years. And from the very earliest days, people would write like, oh man, I need help putting this thing together. Or I don't want to go through that store. Like, you know, you go over there, you get it, you bring it back and, you know, help me out. Um, and so it was one of the most common tasks. Um, and so in that way, it was not surprising. Um, we'd done more assemblies than than IKEA themselves had done, right? Like they <laughs> they weren't big on a service component. Yes. And so, you know, we were always looking for new ways to grow our business. We actually launched in the in the UK uh, in 2013, and then started partnering with IKEA there. And we found that it was a great way to introduce people to the internet, getting things done in your house. And Ikea found that they sold more furniture, uh, you know, when people put it together, uh, which, you know, was new for them, frankly. Yes. And so all of that made a lot of sense. The thing that didn't make sense is that it wasn't a tech company and they never acquired anybody before. Uh, I met with their acquisitions team and the only thing they'd acquired before that were like tree farms. Wow. Uh, and so... It was uh, it was new for for both of us, but um, it definitely uh, panned out, and we spread to France and Spain and Germany and Italy and Canada and all these other places uh, on the road to everywhere they are. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, that's great. I, I I was kind of wondering where the kind of IKEA things, but it's interesting that your your approach, the solution that you're providing to the market, became a solution for them as well. You know, it's uh, it's it's interesting how these things kind of join up sometimes. You definitely never know. Yeah, yeah. And so coming on to the company that you're working for, Group Peru, what's the problem that that's solving in the market right now? Well, while I was at TaskRabbit, um, you know, I was in charge of the product team, the engineering team, the data team. And we'd have these, these meetings, these, you know, the executive meetings, right, with the CEO and the CTO and uh, the CMO and all that kind of stuff. And... We'd have a really great meeting and we'd approve like a million dollars for our marketing team to go out and, and move our retention number that month. Like the biggest, the biggest lever for TaskRabbit was getting people from doing three tasks a month to four tasks a month or, or, or one to two or, or whatever, just kind of moving that, moving that number up. And so we, we, got, we got all excited for the, the quarter. Uh, here's, a, here's a big budget, go out and, and make that happen. And so that'd be on Monday. And then on, on Wednesday, the CMO would say, okay, great. You excited? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like, let's do this. And they're saying, okay, great. So the first thing we need is to get the data from what people are doing on the platform into our marketing tool so we can follow up with them. It's a great way to move retention. You know, maybe right after they move, we know they pack some boxes up. We'll send them a coupon for cleaning. And I'd say, hmm, that's a good idea. Maybe, but I don't know. I got, I got, I got too much going on here. I, 
I got to move this funnel. I got this infrastructure to do. And, and frankly, the engineers just don't really like syncing data to marketing tools. It's just not, nobody joined TaskRabbit to, you know, be kind of like a CSV export importer kind of, kind right. of thing. Right. And, and so we put it on the back burner and then, you know, maybe I'd, I'd get him a CSV at some point. Like it's always the CTO doing a favor for their peer, the CMO. It's never the intern doing the, uh, doing the CSV export, but either way, it'd be the end of the quarter. And I'd be like, Hey, did we hit the goal? And they'd be like, no, we didn't hit the goal. What are you crazy? Like, what was I supposed to do? Mm. Send the newsletter out again. Uh, and this happened a few times. And it was really that organizational gap that inspired inspired us. How could we bridge that gap? How could we make it easier for everybody involved? And so with Grouperu, it's a open source tool appealing to those engineers a little bit uh, in the things that they like. So it takes a six-week piece of work and makes it a day and sets up a great piece of infrastructure. So we can use all of the investments we've made in our data warehouse, you know, that we're creating these great reports. The last mile is getting those back into the sales tool or the marketing tool so that that world can be automated. And yes. so they like that infrastructure and the marketing team um, can see what's going on and they have a way to talk about it and can even do some of it themselves, um, sort of wire up what they need. Um, so it, it just uh, it bridges that organizational gap the data space is calling this reverse ETL. That's right. Uh, when you, it's kind of a funny category name because you have to first explain ETL sometimes. So ETL is when you put stuff into your warehouse. Yeah. Now we're all about taking that investment and getting it out and back and automated into the tools that you're using. Wow. Fantastic. Yes. Cause so uh, having somebody, having been somebody that's worked on data warehouses in the past, kind of the data kind of flowing the other way. I, I guess um, I'm going to sound very naive here because I'm not a data person myself, but it's you're kind of sending the data back uh, uh, into a context. So you're, you're collecting data that's come from lots of different areas into that pool, that data warehouse, yep. and then sending it back in, into a certain context and sending that back to the CRM. And, and what's the kind of insight? I mean, what's the kind of impact that this is having on organizations through this open source platform? Yeah. So, you know, it starts and for me, uh, you know, and this is kind of a leadership podcast, right? Not so it's, it always starts with like the people in those interactions for me. And so, you know, imagine you're in that meeting and you you're the data team and you're presenting on all the insights you've learned. And so, you know, you you ETL stuff into your data warehouse. You've got stuff from your product, probably purchases that, that have been made stuff from customer support, you've learned a little bit about the tickets issues you're having, and you've come up with this predictive model of who's about to churn. Uh, we're, we're about to lose this, this person, right? Mm. And you show, you show a report up on the screen and you're like, you know, we've won, right? Like we have this new insight mm. and the customer support people, the marketing people are like, well, you know, nice report data boy, but like that doesn't really help me. Like, yes. I want to mark this customer at risk in my, my Zendesk CRM uh, for when people call in or put the last purchase they made or say that they're really great uh, so that we can give them, we can route their ticket to the best people or whatever is most appropriate or 
if we think we're about to lose them, we want to send them a, a coupon or, or something like that. And so the report itself, we made all these investments in, in, our, in, in our BI tools, business intelligence, but people are starting to get to these reports and it's really great and very interesting and the graphs are nice, but it doesn't move the business by itself. Yes. They help you make a decision right now. But even better than that is putting that into action in an automated way. Yeah. That's what we're seeing. I like it. I mean, it sounds, uh, I, I, mean, I, can, I envisage lots of different use cases. And what have you, I must admit, I'm a bit surprised that this hasn't already been kind of worked out in the past, you know? <laughs> well, it isn't like the top of this, like, I have this uh, blog post I'm working on where it's like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, this where you have to like yes. eat first and then like, okay, then you have to like have shelter and then like somewhere up at the top is like love and self-esteem and self-actualization. And so it's, we're definitely, this, this whole concept is definitely at the top of this pyramid. If you don't have your warehouse game and your data movement game, and then, you know, and then like your, your BI game in, in, you know, mm. uh, you don't have that all together, then you know, like, we're not reaching that stage. And so a lot of people have been investing in that space and are coming to the spot. And if they got there before, they just did it themselves. Or like the hundreds of companies I've talked to, they wanted to do it themselves, but they didn't quite prioritize it as much as they, they should have. And so, you know, we're in a long list of, uh, you know, open source technologies, a long tradition of, you know, standardizing what people are doing themselves, yes. putting best practices in play and making it easy to uh, deploy, right? Like, yes, it's not that long ago that like people were making their own databases or something, right? Like in their yeah, own yeah. web frameworks. And now, now we're reaching this new, uh, you know, yeah. just, just one more thing that that's easy for you. I love it. It's like an evolution uh, uh, of common use cases, uh, uh, a, a condensing of uh, well, why reinvent it? And I love this. Um, and one of the things that I'm I'm interested in, as you as a leader, um, Brian, what, what's the thing that really kind of drives you? Uh, what's your passion? I think, I mean, just as a as a engineer first, um, the thing that drives me, I think, like like a lot of like a lot of people that are building things in the world, is just you know, putting something out into the world that's, that's useful, you know? So I definitely started there. Like, wouldn't it be great if we, we made this thing and a hundred million people used it? Um, which was, uh, which is something I did at, at IBM. Uh, but you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the most, uh, exciting thing. And so then startups were even more exciting. So that drive me making something completely new mm. and really inventing that that, that a lot of people can get value of. And so, you know, at TaskRabbit, I think I was, su I was most excited. I'm, I was very happy for all the people that, you know, got their house cleaned and uh, errands run and, and, and TVs up on the walls and Ikea furniture assembled. But I was most excited about the, all the people that they got work uh, they could use their skills. They upskilled themselves. And, you know, there were people that were started as cleaners and then saw there was more money in elect electrical work and watched YouTube videos. And now they've put themselves through school or, you know, paid for their kids college or, or whatever it is. Um, I was I was, you know, just having that kind of impact. 
And now yeah. it's the same thing and just like trying to make that relationship and work life and really ease people's problems more on the, the business to business side. As a leader, I feel like it's the same thing just within organizations. Like how can, you know, Group Root to some degree is an extension of me looking for ways that we could run our organization more effectively and like <laughs> have more joy and less like, I don't know, drudgery or something like, <laughs> like that, right? Like how could we, how could we, how could I help the whole team focus on what really makes an impact instead yeah. of, you know, processes that don't work or work that nobody really wants to be doing and make that efficient. When we were a, when we got acquired, we were an engineering team of only 12 producing, you know, uh, like a website, the API, the platform and four mobile apps, um, you know, like you, the leverage in that and the processes in place and the, um, the right spirit and the right technology coming together is the only thing that can make that uh, make that happen. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. And and as for your leadership, then, what's your style of leadership? How do you roll as a leader with your teams? I think two parts. Um, probably a little bit depending on the team them, themselves. And so, you know, with the engineering team. Uh, which is where my background is. You know, I think I, I think I bring a certain, I don't know, understanding of their of of their job and a um, skill set that, like, you know, that there's respect in that. Over the years, I had to learn basically to back off uh, a little bit, and so then <laughs> I supplemented that with, um, you know autonomy and trust in, in what they were doing. And then, you know, sprinkling in little hints of uh, more Socratic method sort of, uh, sort of style. Uh, definitely a big learning for me as a leader, not to be down in the weeds in, in every single uh, decision and, and just try to point out the, the road humps uh, up above, so to speak. Sure. With over time, I started managing teams that not, did not have direct experience in, and especially as we were growing after the acquisition, we grew the engineering team significantly. I also took on the design partnerships, uh, data, and product management teams, um, not all of which I was the expert in, right? And so then it became being more about enablement of those people's success and you know, across the board, uh, really just authenticity of what I knew and what I was trying to bring to the table and how I could help and, and more of that autonomy, um, especially in design, like, mm. you know, engineers, uh, myself, definitely included, not, not well known for a design sense, yes. um, but could give tips on how this would work in our actual product, uh, like, you know, like bring some reality to that and set those um, set the, the director of design up for, for success in the best way to you know work with the organization collaboratively to, to move it forward. Brilliant. So here's a tough question for you. What, um, at what point did you realize that you had to kind of change? You kind of mentioned that you know, uh, there was a point in which you knew you had to kind of back off. What, what was the defining moment and what, yeah, what triggered that? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, I want to say it was like some grand EQ <laughs> evolution. It was probably just burnout. Um, you know, I mean, the team was growing. Um, we had, uh, you know, I was, you know, the only engineer and then there was two and then there was four and then there was eight and I, we got up to about, you know, 15, maybe more. And, and I was like looking at all the code and like giving hints and like, if it wasn't exactly like I thought, like there was, there was a lot of discussion and it was, you know, sometimes quite like me trying to convince that person. And then eventually maybe they, they'd either fight or they'd roll over, right? And mm -hmm. they weren't happy and I certainly wasn't happy and I was burnt out. Um, and so I remember one day I'm walking down, you know, if it had to be one moment, uh, you know, I'm walking down the street and I'm thinking about, I don't know, like caching strategy or like our message bus system or something like that with Redis. And and I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about it on the way to work. And I, all of a sudden I stop and I'm like, oh, what are you doing, man? Why are you thinking about Redis? Like, you're, you've got to, right when you get in, you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one with John or whatever. And he wants to talk about his, his, like, what it takes for him to get promoted. And you're sitting here. Yes. You're thinking about Redis. What are you doing? And so I put a little post-it note up on my screen uh, at some point that said, F and manage like <laughs> your job, your job isn't Redis. Yeah. Your job is, is John, so to speak, uh, yeah. the, you know, <laughs> proverbial John Doe, uh, or Jane Doe for that matter. And so the, um, that was, that was there. Now it turned out, um, that I really liked all those database sort of things. And then, you know, what the company needed as we move forward, we actually uh, hired a, a VPE and uh, they took on some more of those. And I did some more of the ar uh, architectural, you know, stuff and transformed that leadership, um, found ways to keep that autonomy, uh, but like kept it at a, at a technical level, especially with the, the tech leads of the company. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like a sounds like a really. Uh, thank you for sharing that story because I think uh, there's a lot of people that have that moment, you know, or or need to have that moment where they realise that they do need to kind of step back and and uh, let go or, or redefine the way in which the organisation is organised, you know. Um, yeah. And and in your leadership now, Brian, you know what what's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the thing that uh, plays on your mind? Because it's different now. Yeah. It's, de it's definitely different now. Um, you know, in my, in my, a lot, a lot's different from that story to where I am now. Um, before it was, I was the CTO. Uh, and you know, the things that kept me up at night were just, I don't know, trying to figure out the, the best way or to get done, uh, whatever we were trying to get done or hiring or, um, you know, sort of the career progression kind of stories or <laughs> a myriad other, uh, you know, like organizational challenges probably. Um, now back to a small company and I'm the CEO. And so my, my thoughts now, although I love, uh, I love the technical stuff and every now and then get, get into it a little bit, uh, cause we're still, we're still small. 
uh, it's more about the go-to-market strategies uh, for this, right? And so mm -hmm. instead of building something or in, even instead of doing the hiring, my CTO is mo mostly doing the engineer hiring. Um, I was planning a conference uh, a couple months ago, right? And and you know, now doing sales calls and, and things like that. And so the things that keep me up are around the how we can build awareness uh, of, of Group Aru and um, in general, trying to make sure that we're building more, pro building the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, I must be quite uh, a very different, uh, again, you've shifted from becoming, being a, a techie doing to the leading the technology now to kind of leading the organization. Um, do you still have that itch to want to go back into the kind of technical world? I mean, let's be clear. It's not a huge jump. I didn't take over as CEO of Pepsi or something, or even, <laughs> or even, I mean, whatever. It's an open source data tool for yeah. engineers. Like it's, it's not the hugest leap in the world. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, it's definitely a little bit different and the, and the itch is still there. And so to some degree, it's, it's like the actual, I mean, I love to code. Um, and it's, it's actually a similar spot to when I was CTO, which is there's some things you can code, uh, you can allow yourself to code, but they can't, they can't be critical path. They can't be blocking. Mm. Um, and so I get my code itch out these days with <laughs> a, um, helping to manage, um, we've got some several people like contractors. So basically one thing Group Roo has to do is connect to, you know, in the fullness of time, infinite different destinations for our data. You've got it in Snowflake and now you need to get it to one of 8,000 possible tools. And those are, that's just marketing. And so we're working with a variety of people on how to do that. And so I'm helping to manage the, and looking at the code and, and such of, of all of these integrations we're doing. I also, and PM and have to cons constantly like refresh my environment and seed it with certain data and make sure it all of it's working. And so my, my, uh, I'm trying not to make it like my magnum opus of engineering. Like it's not that important. Right. But like, you know, all my technical coding energy is going into like these demo commands we have to like spin up environments very quickly so we can test out certain scenarios. Sure. And maybe that's like like what I was talking about earlier, actually. Like it's a to to boot one of these up, like to fill a database up with a certain type of data and then set the world up and then test it. Maybe that's like 30 minutes if you have the CSVs or something like that. But like my command makes it uh, you know, whatever, six seconds or something like that. Mm. And so that's back to the the drudgery and efficiency and like really using technology to to get to the the juicy bits uh, uh, of the work, and so I guess I guess that is what I'm still working on in the, in that case. Brilliant. So Brian, based on your your you know your journey to this point here, and you've kind of you've done the you've done the techie stuff, you've kind of led in the techie space, you're still leading in the techie space. What are the key things that you've seen around creating high performing teams? The tips around communication, collaboration, and alignment. Yeah, I think. I think number one is to make sure that we're all, I mean, maybe, maybe all leaders just 
dip into metaphors at this point, but I'll do it anyway. Like, uh, you know, we're all rowing in the same direction or something like that. We know why, what we're building um, and we know why we're building it. And so I think that, I think it all starts with vision um, and strategy and direction. And generally, I think that the primary thing that, uh, that a leader has to do is be clear how all of this fits together and how what you're working on, you know, kind of rolls up into that and that they buy into that. And so there's just no way to over communicate that. Uh, a CPO I worked with said, you know, you haven't really got it across at a minimum until you've communicated it five times in five different ways. Mm. And so that's something I, I try to remember, like, all right, you know, I said it at that all hands. And frankly, that's where I often stop. And a lot of people probably stop. Like we're having our big meeting and here's the new vision or the new strategy, or here's the, the next quarter's roadmap or whatever it is that like suck it in. It's brilliant. Now let's go. Mm. And what's important to remember, um, this, uh, this same, uh, this same CPO, his name was, uh, John Vars. And he said, you've been thinking of that strategy. You've been working on that presentation and that strategy for six months, maybe, mm. or even a week or even a day, either way, you're way ahead on the curve of knowing what the heck you're talking about than they are. <laughs> yeah. And so it's important to follow up with that, maybe with an email and then bring it up again in Slack when you're actually like talking about the feature that follows on um, or that, or like this bug is important because it's taking away from that strategy or something like that. So five yes. times, um, five different ways. And then maybe like I was talking about earlier, like give some autonomy around how we're going to go about that and let people really engage with the next steps of that, of that vision. Cause you know, everyone, um, especially really diverse teams of, of where they come from and skill sets, um, and viewpoints, um, can, can contribute there. And that really increases the buy-in, which in the end gets everybody engaged and, uh, you know, in my experience, the better outcomes. Yeah. I love that. Um, I love this idea of feeding, circumstances within the organization back to the vision what that means the you know how that relates to what you're doing and, yeah. and, and every then... every every bug you prioritize even when it's small or don't prioritize is an opportunity to talk about that vision right like yeah this is bad like we, nobody wants bugs right <laughs> like this is bad but like, is this really, this isn't a part that we're not investing in, or like, this isn't really stopping somebody from that viral loop that we're working on or whatever your, whatever your, your feature is, uh, or whatever your, you know, your strategy is. Yeah. I love it. So here you go. It's a tough question for you, Brian. What is your vision for Group Peru? Ooh, bring it all back. Right. That's good. I like that. Um, the, the vision has to be has to be pretty big i think in general like it can't be like we're gonna sync data and it's gonna be you know those two those first names are gonna be the same in all your tools right <laughs> it's a it's like a, a vision is like a, a state of being in, in my opinion and so the vision for grouperu is really about 
the feeling you get uh, when you can work together well with your with your organization. So like imagine a world kind of like, you know, like that movie voice guy in a world <laughs> where engineers don't run away as soon as marketing needs some data, you know, something like that. And so <laughs> we the business like the strategy is to move retention. And so wouldn't it be great if whatever was necessary even if it was kind of like that drudgery work was just so easy that when the marketer said, you know, I need this data, the engineer, like my, my bar is just that they don't run away. Uh, they just be like, Oh yeah, what do you need? Okay. No big deal. Mm. And then even better empower that marketer to actually know what the data is, which is a common issue. They know vaguely what they want, but they don't know the specifics. So how can we collaborate to get the right thing and then give them some autonomy in, in making that happen? And so if our vision is realized, businesses um, run more effectively. They're not just making decisions with their data, but putting it into action, leading to a better experience for all the employees and the people using the products. I'm tired of getting an email two weeks after I buy a car about car deals. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Yes. Uh, like if we could personalize these journeys, like let's accept that marketing has to exist and sales has to exist. Like it's probably just something that people are going to keep doing. At the very least, we could make those experiences um, a lot better and have when I call in to support, they already know the thing I bought last instead of the innumerable, uh, you know, questions uh and you know key pressings for example brilliant that's, that's great and um i wanted to ask you around kind of the open source because i've been in the open source world i've not actually worked on an open source project myself but i have great respect for the industry because it's made a huge impact on the industry as a whole sure, sure. What, what's the kind of nuances around leading in that kind of space and also making sure that the collaboration is in a direction and not kind of heading off in every direction mm. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think I think it starts with your your values. Um, still, like I think it's important to like we're an open source company. One of our values is to be open, even within the company, right? And so, like I was talking about, those documents are in shared drives, even while you're working on them. There's a certain openness, and I don't even know what the word is. Uh, vulnerability uh, to that, uh, like yes. putting. Like putting like the first draft of a book, so to speak, uh, or even the, you know, the first draft of an architecture on a, when someone, no one's looking per se, but if they wanted to look like it's, it's right there and it makes it easier to transition to the sharing mode. Even our, um, I mean, every company, this is my second company. So like a little bit earlier this time, we made things like a vacation policy and, uh, you know, a 401k plan and, and these kinds of things and how all of those work are in a GitHub repo, uh, wow. currently private. Maybe we'll share it someday. Um, but like theoretically, if you wanted to change the uh, vacation policy, I haven't had anyone step up to that plate quite yet. Uh, you could make a pull request and say, you know what, we get, we get five weeks off now. Um, wow. And yeah. we can have the discussion there uh, in the open. I think that extends to the whole community uh, as a whole. Our, our roadmap is public, for example, 
um, customer just yesterday said like, I really wish we had this integration. I said, great. Um, but could you make a GitHub issue and really describe your use case? And then people will see that and maybe plus one and we can help to prioritize what uh, we're working on. Except now he's talking about building it himself. And so then it's my job to enable him to be able to do that. And so fortunately, uh, well, that's why we invested in documentation on exactly how to build one of these integrations. Um, and, uh, you know, instead of what I was going to do yesterday, I spent some time showing him the patterns in place. Uh, but in the issue, I wrote down the patterns for the next person as well, wrote down the uh, patterns in place, um, and how they might go around that. So they'd have a, a head start. I think it starts with all of that was only, po that was only possible because we had a good idea of where we wanted people to contribute. Um, and so we have lots of documentation on how to create a new integration, uh, because that's the long tail of, an, you know, in this particular scenario uh, and the real value in being super open, uh, and not as much documentation, frankly, on like how the internal engine is, is working. Cause we expect much less, um, mm -hmm. contribution, um, more like bug reports in that area. I've got a question here around your advice to uh, aspiring tech leaders. What advice would you give them based on your journey to where you've got to now? Let's see. So maybe just circling back to something we talked about earlier, like it's really, it's really, really great um, as a tech leader to know how to build things. I think if, if you come in and you, you show that you don't really understand their day-to-day, -day, it's gonna be really hard to create the right empathy and trust and respect uh, involved. Mm. But at the same time, I think it's really important to know, remember that there's lots of ways to build things. Um, and it's important to give the team the autonomy and to some degree, pick your battles. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, that's kind of, that's kind of weird, but like, this is in this, this, like, this isn't the, the architecture that everything's hanging off of. This is this one little feature and like, let's let them go down that road a little bit, um, and see how it goes and then give advice along the way. And maybe, maybe that feature will take an extra week to build. Uh, but that engineer will be heavily on the transition from mid to junior or junior to mid or mid to senior or, or whatever we're talking about. And even what I just said, still in my mind, I, I'm, I'm catching myself is a little bit, is a little bit of, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, like, I, like I know all the answers, right? Like, uh, what's the word? Uh, I don't know, egotistical behavior or something like that, right? And so, I even said, that's a weird way to build it. Guess what? Maybe not. Uh, maybe there's lots of ways to build it. And your first instinct when you spent seven seconds hearing about it wasn't right. And so it's about questioning um, questions, curious, coming from a place of being truly curious about what they're thinking that tends to lead to A, them growing and being more empowered and you uh, not 
making them mad, frankly. Yes, yes, yeah. I think you're right here. The nuance around how you are curious makes a huge difference. It's not it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it and how it's being delivered and received. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very like, it's very easy to be like, I would have done it like this, or <laughs> what about this? Or more interestingly, tell me why you picked what you just said. Yeah. And guess what? You might learn something. <laughs> yes. And it might be fine. And they feel, you know, empowered and they're going to do better building it that way. Uh, or you bring in the one piece that had you making, and then you could say, well, what about this? Uh, or I might be worried about this thing. And then they'd be like, well, oh, well, that fits into my framework too. You know what? Great. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Nice. Ka-ching. And they're on your journey uh, on the theme of uh, tips for aspiring leaders and other leaders already in the kind of tech space, what books have been defining or talks hmm. or something defining in your journey that you'd like to kind of share with them? That's a good question. So we'd have this book club uh, and they were all managers too. And so, you know, we'd, we'd read these books. Uh, one of them was uh, High Output Management by uh, Andy Grove. It's just in general, this way of some of the practices I've been talking about, but tips on on management and setting goals and, and context and, and all of those things. It's, a, it's an old one for sure. Mm. Um, but I think more than anything, what, what was good out of that and the other ones was showing that I was actually working on myself uh, and, and, and like having the book club in general and, and having the discussions around it and how they applied to our business. Yes. Um, and so maybe the book club itself was actually better than any individual book uh, that we read. Um, yeah, and uh, right. I don't know, I think there's a, there's a strategy in there too. I love that. Enlightened conversations around a subject that we've all read or something that we read about, you know. Um, I love those yeah. kind of conversations as well. And oh, I took it to that point uh, just for fun. I took this, uh, we took this training. Um, and one of the things in the training, um, there was like a personality test. We did DISC. I don't know. He, that, that can be helpful sometimes too. But this, uh, the trainer talked about this framework that I, I still definitely take forward to me, with me is, there's three things in this in this world. Uh, one of them is the I, the we, and the it. Uh, so basically, engineers and engineering managers, um, we talk too much about the it, like the thing that we're working on right now and how we're going to build it. Even me in this in this thing, I tried to tried to talk not about exactly what we're building and things like that, but there was there's there's a lot of that and one on ones just full of. I don't know, often even debugging, right? Like it's absurd, frankly. Um, and we spend too little time on the I and the we. How, where am I going? What do I need? How are we working together? These kinds of things. Um, and so maybe the book club gave time for that. Uh, essentially a forced space of, of, of uh, for that discussion. Brilliant. I love that. That's another key takeaway for me, I think, on this podcast. So... I'm going to pretend now, Brian, to be a tech genie. I'm going to offer you a tech wish for your tech leadership, <laughs> for your company or your industry. What would you wish for? Wow, what what power that you have, and, and then I can wield. That's this is uh, this is great. I think what I'd like. I started again with like very technical things, right? Like in my mind, this is how this is my my whole story here today. Like I was thinking about database things and ah, whatever, stupid. 
what I think I'd really love is to be able to put in someone's mind in both directions in the hiring process exactly what it's going to be like um, working, like predict what six months later, what, it, what exactly it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Hiring is such an imprecise process that it's just impossible to get a two-way fit with any degree of circumstance in both directions. Like, mm-hmm. is Brian going to be crazy? Am I going to like working <laughs> on these things? Like, am I cut out for remote work? Is it right for me? Um, all engineers have really strong opinions on, on very weird subjects sometimes, and you find it later. Yes. I just wish we could know, and, and there's a right company for that opinion and a wrong company for that opinion, maybe. And I wish we could figure that out um, at the beginning and uh, just know if it was going to be a fit. And then like literally everyone would be, would be so much happier, right? If we could just get a score from this genie for my six month happiness um, yes. from the managers and from the the uh, the employees. I'm gonna work hard on that one for you, Brian. I think right, this you is do a good that. one. I think this is useful for a lot of people out there. I mean, clearly, clearly there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of time spent trying to yes. predict that um, and it's very hard. Yeah. So as we come towards a full stop of the podcast, um, what would you like to leave as a kind of key takeaway, a gift to the tech leader, men and women out there? What's your final kind of note? Oh, man, this is it. I feel like I've, I've left some good notes. Uh, what, what's the last one? Um, I think maybe the last uh, note or piece of advice is that a lot of what I've said is like stepping outside in that transition from, from engineer to leader is, is stepping outside that your comfort zone. And it's a whole new job when you become a leader. Uh, I think, I think it's made me a better person, uh, you know, with outside of work, uh, family included, uh, to, you know, add some empathy to my life, for example. Um, and I, I really encourage people to, to take that jump if it makes sense for them. Um, and even the jump now that I've made into CEO, it's a whole new set of skills and challenges. Um, but no matter what happens, I think life's all about uh, learning. So, you know, if you're thinking about it, um, you know, find the right context and, and take the jump. Brilliant. A great note to finish on, Brian. Thank you for your time. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, there were some great insights in that enlightening chat with Brian. I love how he exited a nice exit on one startup and jumped straight into another. Also, the market solution born into the second one was through the learning from the first. I think that's quite poetic, eh? So, what were your key takeaways? These were mine. Number one, creating high-performing teams is in part about creating a good functioning marriage between vision, strategy and direction. As Brian said from the advice he was given, communicate these at least five times in five different ways. What I particularly liked there in the context of that conversation was about using any moment, whether that was a challenge, a problem, a mistake, even a celebration of success and mapping it back to that vision. Love this, very creative and resourceful, don't you think? My second key takeaway is about the concept of reverse ETL. How collecting data 
creating insights or perspectives on that data and feeding it back into the tools of the business for various use cases, e.g. sales tools or marketing tools or even operations. I really like this idea of data flowing in and flowing back out in the forms that serve the business the best way. Love it. And my third and final key takeaway is about the I, the we, and the it that Brian spoke of. How the focus on the it is important, but the I and the we is even more important. As leaders, and particularly tech leaders, as we're surrounded with lots of it's to be busying our minds with, we really need to focus on the I's and the we's, that human element. And also, Brian mentioned about the book club. This created an opportunity to focus on those I's and we's. And in his own words, how the book club was actually better than the book under study itself. What it brought to the group of people working together was just gold. So thank you, Brian, for sharing your time. I really respect people that work on solutions in the open source space. It's a brilliant arena to mop up common use cases or even common pain points. Keep up that great work and I look forward to reading, hearing and talking to you about your continuing success and great work that you're doing. Thank you for your time, Brian. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.